pray. Lord, you're big and you love us. That makes us glad that I say and let the thoughts we all think be pleasing in your sight. For Jesus' sake, amen. Have you ever made a promise that you were then unable to follow through on? I have. um, That's the subject of one of the most uncomfortable episodes of a TV show that I've ever watched. Um, It was part of a TV show that is uncomfortable to begin with, The Office. But it's this one particular episode that it's the one episode that I have vowed that I will never watch a second time because it was just so uncomfortable. Um, It's an episode called Scott's Tots. And um, what happens in this episode is that Michael Scott remembers that 10 years ago he promised a group of underprivileged students that if they graduated high school, he would pay their college tuition. And so motivated by that promise, they've gone through school and now it's graduation day and they are all graduating. And he remembers his promise and uh, realizes that uh, he has to go to the school while they're all cheering for him and get up in front of them and tell them he doesn't have any money for them for college tuition. Um, So promise broken. Um, And there's his face, the moment he needs to get up there and tell them that he has broken his promise and he doesn't have any college tuition for them. My question this morning is, does God ever have to make this face? Like, he makes lots of promises in the Bible. We make promises and we end up making this face because we break our end of the deal. But what about God? All those promises that he makes along the way, does he ever get in a situation where he can't follow through? or doesn't follow through on a promise that he's made for one reason or another. This is week two of our Advent series that we've entitled, Who is He? We're looking in this series not at specific prophecies from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills, but we're looking more at the big sweeping themes of the Bible that Jesus is the fulfillment of. And so last week, Pastor Craig kicked off the series by talking to us about rest. And how the rest that we've all been longing for as human beings comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who is our rest. And in him, we can stop our striving to try to get to God. And with his death, he inaugurated a rest that will be ours forever and ever, an eternal rest with him. This week, we've started off talking about promises made, broken, because along the way, God has made promises to us, and we've, as humans, have engaged in some two-way promises with him, and we have consistently broken our end of the deal. So the question this morning is, so what does that mean for God's end of the deal? When we break our promises to God, does he do the same in return, or do his promises still stand? That's what we're going to be looking at today. The type of promise that we're talking about is a covenant. It was mentioned uh, earlier. It's worth it just to hear that definition one more time. It's a solemn commitment. It guarantees promises or obligations undertaken by one or both covenanting parties. So there's usually two parties involved, and one or both parties makes promises to the other and has obligations to the other one. What we're going to do today is take a look at how that theme unfolds in Scripture and how it points to Jesus. And so just to kind of orient ourselves in the big story of everything that the Bible tells, just a refresher on the big story of everything, Everything starts when God makes everything, and it's perfect. Step two, Adam and Eve mess it all up for us, right? And everything goes south. But then God implements his rescue plan. That's kind of just a big picture overview of the story of everything. Where covenants come into play 
is right between step two and three. Before God implements the rescue plan, he announces it to us. He actually does it for the first time right away. The day that Adam and Eve mess up, he tells them that he's got a rescue plan coming. But then along the way, before he implements the plan, he announces more specifics about how that plan will be implemented. And he does it in these covenants. Each time he announces a covenant with someone, he says, I'm going to partner with you in bringing my rescue plan to pass. So this sounds crazy, but this is what we're going to do today. We're going to look at five covenants very, very briefly, just a broad overview, just because uh, of our time together, uh, and that are going to show us that God is a promise-making God. It's going to feel a little academic for the first half of the time. I don't know that there's any way around that. Sorry about that. But if you'll hang in there with us, I think you'll see that the second half is where the payoff comes. We see that Jesus is, promise, is God's promise kept, and he fulfills all five of those covenants that we're going to take a brief look at in the Old Testament. Can we do that together this morning? Can we do that together this morning? All right, let's do it. Okay. So uh, we'll start with God's covenant with Noah. This is the first time in the Bible that God talks about a covenant, making a covenant with someone. Um, And it's found in Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. It's up on the screen if you don't have a chance to turn there. Here's what God says to Noah after the flood. Everything has gone from bad to worse. God sent a flood to destroy everything. And then at the end of the flood, here's what God says to Noah. And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth that is with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that... Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's covenant number one. So for each of these covenants, we're just going to walk through a chart just to kind of keep us on track and keep everything straight. Okay, so God makes this covenant with Noah. Question, who are the recipients of the promises? Well, we saw there who it was with. It was with Noah, Noah's offspring, and actually every living creature for all of time. That's who God makes this covenant with. And what does he promise them? He promises them this, that never again will he destroy everything by a flood. So God will preserve life on earth until the rescue plan comes to pass. By the way, don't try to write all this down. Um, I'm going to send out the PowerPoint and the highlights this week. So just soak it all in as as we're uh, talking through it together. It's going to be too much to write down. There are obligations that Noah and his descendants have. What What are they supposed to do? Well, if we look back a little bit in chapter 9, we'd see that they were meant to do what Adam and Eve were originally meant to do. Be God's under-rulers here on this earth, filling the earth and ruling the way God intended them to rule. And the consequences, if they don't do that, well, there are none in this one. It's what we might call an unconditional promise, that even though God knows that Noah's descendants are going to continue the wicked patterns of their ancestors, he's going to make good on his promise anyway, that he will not He will preserve life on earth, and he won't destroy it by a flood once again, even though that's what human beings will deserve. So the promise is unconditional, but there's one more thing we should note before we leave this covenant with Noah. If we were to read on in chapter 9, we'd see that God institutes a sign to go along with this covenant. He puts his bow in the clouds, as he says it. It's not a bow, though, like a bow you put in your hair. It's not a bow like a bow that goes on a Christmas present. It's a bow, like a bow and arrow, like a weapon. We call it a rainbow, right? But you ever think about why that would be the sign of this covenant? 
a weapon? And did you ever think about why that weapon would be pointed upward at heaven? We don't get those answers here in Genesis, but we see some things being instituted in this first covenant. Maybe a summary of this first covenant would be this. God promises to preserve creation for some future blessing. God promises to preserve creation for some future blessing. Fast forward. God gets a little more specific now with each covenant that goes by. We could picture the covenants working out this way. They kind of get nested within one another. So God makes a covenant with Noah. That's for all creation. And then one family within that. And then one family within that. And then one family within that. So next we come to the covenant with Abram, who later becomes known as Abraham. That covenant shows up in Genesis chapter 12. So if you opened to the first one, you can just flip over a couple pages. It's in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Follow along there, if you don't mind, as I read this second covenant. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let's work through our chart once again. Who's the recipient of this promise? Well, we saw a few different recipients in that text. We see God saying, I will bless you. So Abraham's a recipient of the promise. We see that Abraham's family is a recipient of the promise. I'll make you a great nation. And we see actually all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. So we could say that Abraham, his descendants, and all nations are going to be recipients of the promises of the covenant with Abraham. And then we might summarize those promises like this. There's national blessing and international blessing. The national blessing comes to Abraham and his descendants. The international blessing comes through Abraham and his descendants to all the nations on the earth. There are obligations with this one, too. Um, If we were to read on to chapter 17, we'd see that all the males in Abraham's family needed to be circumcised. And another obligation of the covenant was that they were supposed to walk before God and be blameless. Tall order. So what are the consequences if they don't walk blamelessly before God? Well, it's the curse of death. And we see that in Genesis 15. If you haven't read Genesis 15 in a while, make a note to read that this week. I'm only going to have time to summarize it here. But here's what happens in Genesis 15. God is instituting this covenant with Abraham. And the way it works out there is a little story that works very well with the way a lot of covenants in the ancient Near East happened at the time. Here's what they would do when they were making a covenant in the ancient Near East. This is one type of covenant that was made. The two parties involved would take animals and cut them in half. They place one half of the animals right here in a line and another half of the animals right here in the line. And the blood from those animals would run down into the middle in kind of a walkway. And then... The two parties would walk between the pieces, as it were, through that path created between the animals, as if to say this, let this happen to me if I don't fulfill my end of the covenant. If I break my covenant promise, let this curse of death come upon me. We see that covenant pop up elsewhere in the Bible, Jeremiah 34, and that's what God says, tells Abraham to do in Genesis 15. He says, cut up some animals for me, and then... This covenant gets instituted. But what you'll notice when you read Genesis 15 this week is that Abram 
never gets a chance to walk between the pieces. It's actually only God that does. It's only God that walks between the pieces in this covenant with Abram, as if to say, if this covenant is broken, let this curse come upon me. If we're going to summarize the covenant with Abraham, we might say this, God promises to bless all people through one nation from Abraham's family line. Fast forward 400 years or so. God makes another covenant, this one with Moses. It's in Exodus chapter 19, if you want to turn there. Otherwise, just follow along up on the screen. This is after God has brought the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Here's what he says to Moses. The Lord called to Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Who are the recipients of this promise? Well, we saw there that it's the house of Jacob, the people of Israel. And what are the promises given to them? They're going to be his treasured possession. They're going to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We might summarize it like this. They're going to get to continue to live in the land of promise. And while they're there, they're going to have a special relationship with God, different from God's relationship with all the other nations around. But you heard the obligations, didn't you? There was a big if there. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. That's the condition that this covenant was based on. They have to keep it. And obey him. And we see as the chapters unfold what that means. They've got to keep the Sabbath. That's the sign of this covenant. They've got to keep the Ten Commandments and the whole book of the covenant, which lays out laws and regulations that will make them distinct from the people around them. And what if they don't? One of the main punishments, consequences under this covenant is exile. If an individual breaks the covenant, they get exiled from the community, kicked out of the camp. If the whole nation breaks the covenant and persists in disobedience to the covenant regulations. Leviticus chapter 18 says that the people will be removed from the land and treated as though they were not God's people anymore. You might summarize the covenant with Moses like this. Israel is set apart as the distinct nation from which blessing will come to the world. Y'all still with me? Let's do two more here. Covenant with David. It's getting narrowed down more and more. This is another 500 years or so after the covenant with Moses. God speaks to King David, and he says this, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will make for you, David, a great name. We've heard that before with Abraham. Like the name of the great ones of the earth. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is a covenant with David and with his descendants, his offspring after him. And the promise made is that this 
dynasty that comes from David's line will last forever. So either there will continue to be Davidic kings forever, one after another, after another, after another forever, or there will be one Davidic king from his line that will reign forever and ever and ever. Either way, David is told that his throne should be established forever. The obligations here are that he's not supposed to commit iniquity. In other words, he's supposed to be blameless, like Abraham was called to in the first place, and the consequences are right there with it. If the Davidic king does commit iniquity, God's love won't depart from him, but he will be disciplined with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. So if we're going to summarize this covenant with David, we might say the offspring of Abraham, the one who was promised earlier to bless all nations, he's going to come from David's royal family line. So now we've seen four covenants. Each of them has been broken on the human end. We haven't fulfilled the obligations that we had. I mean, think about Noah. Noah and his descendants were called to fulfill the calling of Adam and Eve on this earth and rule the way God intended them to rule. But within a couple chapters, Noah's descendants are building a tower to try to be God. Abraham, his descendants were supposed to be blameless. They didn't walk blamelessly. Moses, the people of Israel, um, are meant to keep the covenant. They broke it before Moses even got down the mountain with the two tablets. And even though David and Solomon showed some promise, neither one of them lived up to the blamelessness called for in the Davidic covenant. So people start to wonder, what, what's going to come of God's promises after we humans have broken our obligations at every step along the way? And then in the prophets, God starts to talk about a new, a new covenant, one more that's coming. He talks about it as an everlasting covenant, one that will never be replaced. One of the main places where it's talked about is in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the last major text we'll look at. Jeremiah chapter 31, this new covenant in the future is announced. Here's what it says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Who are the beneficiaries of this covenant? the house of Israel and the house of Judah, but it becomes clear in this text and others that this isn't restricted to just ethnic Israel and Judah. This covenant is going to apply to all who are sons of Abraham in the truest sense, by faith in Abraham's God. Jew and Gentile, what are the promises for these people? Some of the promises sound a lot like the promises of the other covenants. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Uh, They'll go back into the land. Uh, They'll have a Davidic king. Those promises get reiterated in the new covenant. But there are certain parts of the new covenant promises that are bigger than anything that's been said before. Um, We see here removal of sin completely once and for all. Like you don't have to keep making sacrifices anymore. 
We see this talk about inner transformation, God writing his law on our hearts. We see talk of intimacy with God, like you don't have to go through a priestly mediator to get to God anymore. Some of these promises in the New Covenant are astounding in how far beyond any previous covenant they go. But there are obligations for this covenant too. We might call it empowered obedience now. It's not like the blamelessness exactly called for in the other covenants because in this one, God's saying, I'm going to empower you to do it. I'm going to give you a new heart, one that wants to follow my law. I'm going to write my law on your heart so that you desire to follow it now. And what are the consequences if we don't? Well, there are none listed in the New Covenant texts, really. It's another unconditional covenant God promises to make despite knowing that we will disobey. But we're going to need to note in a moment how that covenant is inaugurated. Let's summarize the new covenant now, though. It's the pinnacle of all the covenants. It'll be eternal, and it'll never be superseded by another one in the future. That's what the Old Testament says about the new covenant to come. Okay, so now we get to get to the fun part. All right, we've looked at those five covenants. Um, We've seen that God's a promise-making God in those covenants, and now we get to see how Jesus is God's promise kept. We're going to work backwards from the new covenant back to the covenant with Noah and see how Jesus fulfills each of those covenants. You ready for that? Let's do it. The new covenant. How is Jesus the fulfillment of the new covenant? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? The night he's betrayed, when he's with his disciples, and he raises the cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And Jesus knew the texts in the Old Testament, the prophecies about the new covenant, and so did his disciples. And it was clear what he was saying in that moment. He was saying that the blood that he was about to shed that next day would be what inaugurated the new covenant promised for hundreds of years by the prophets. And the rest of the New Testament bears that out, that we have access to these grand promises of the new covenant, that our sin could be totally removed from us, that we could be transformed from the inside, that we could know God personally without having to go through priestly mediators. All of that is ours in Jesus because of the blood that he shed on Calvary. But how's Jesus the fulfillment of the covenant with David? Well, the Magi knew, didn't they? We celebrate that right around Christmas time. You might have grown up hearing about them as the three wise men, right? But they were pagan astrologers who looked at the skies and they looked at the Hebrew scriptures and they said, wait a minute, this one born on Bethlehem on Christmas is the one that was foretold long ago to be the heir of all the promises to David. This is the Davidic king who's going to reign forever, and they were right. The Bible testifies that Jesus was the true king from David's line, the one through whom the everlasting kingdom would be established. He was blameless the way David and his descendants were meant to be. Nevertheless, he took the consequences of the Davidic covenant, bearing stripes and wounds on our behalf and on behalf of all the Davidic kings who failed to be blameless along the way. And he's reigning now in the hearts of you and me, his people, his church. And the day's coming when he will institute an everlasting reign here on a renewed earth forever and ever with us. How's Jesus, the fulfillment of the covenant with Moses? First and foremost, he kept it to the letter. He was the true Israelite in whom there was nothing false, who never broke a single one of the commands 
in the Mosaic Covenant. But that's not the only way in which Jesus was the fulfillment of the Mosaic Covenant. Think about it. If, if all Jesus did was live a perfect life, that would have been enough to save himself, right? To make it so that he avoided the curse of the covenant with Moses. But that wouldn't have done anything for us. Jesus went beyond just perfectly living out the covenant with Moses. He took the covenant curse on himself so that we wouldn't have to. He did it that Friday when he was taken out of God's holy city, ostracized outside the camp, exiled to a forsaken hill. And there, for three hours on that cross, the sky went dark because in that moment, he was experiencing exile from God the Father like he had never experienced before. He was hearing the Father say to him, you are not my people. The greatest curse that could ever be uttered. And Jesus did that. He took the exile so that you and I would never have to be exiled. He heard, not my people, so that we could hear God say, you are my people. What about the covenant with Abraham? How did Jesus fulfill that? Well, remember the covenant institution back in Genesis 15 when the pieces of the animals were cut in two and God walked between the pieces but Abraham didn't? That promise was made in the 15th chapter of the Bible and it was unclear how it was going to be fulfilled. But then one Friday in Jerusalem, it came time for the 3 p.m. sacrifice. The same sacrifice that had been made time and time and time again for hundreds, even thousands of years using some of the same animals that were used back in Genesis 15 that were cut in the covenant with Abraham. All along the way, those animals had been sacrificed over and over again as a reminder to the people of God's promise. But now, at 3 o'clock, as the priest raised the knife to slaughter the animal for the 3 p.m. sacrifice, a cry rang out outside of Jerusalem from that forsaken hill. Is one of the men on the crosses out there. And he raised his voice and he said, It is finished. And in that moment, God kept his promise to Abraham. He kept his promise that if this covenant is broken, may this be done to me. And it was done to him in the person of Jesus as he hung on the cross and took the punishment that we deserved for our failure to be blameless. Finally, covenant with Noah. How is Jesus the fulfillment of the covenant with Noah? Well, remember that sign that was placed in the sky when God instituted that covenant. You know, God shouldn't be able to make a promise that he's not going to destroy the whole earth again because that's what we deserve, right? A good and just God, a holy God, needs to punish our sin. And we haven't gotten any better since the days of Noah, and so he should have destroyed this earth many, many times over. So how is he able to make this promise to Noah without being guilty of being complicit in evil himself? That's the question that's been raised in the Bible. But God points us to that sign, that bow, that weapon pointed up at the heavens. And then we realize in that same scene, on that same Friday, as Jesus hung on that cross outside Jerusalem, that it's in that moment that the arrow pointed at the heavens thousands of years earlier finds its mark as it pierces God in the person of Jesus on that cross. 
And we see in that moment that God always intended to keep that promise to Noah, but at great cost to himself. I hope you've seen here that God never gets in a Michael Scott situation where he makes a promise that he can't keep. All of his promises are yes, and 2 Corinthians 1 tells us that the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Every single one of them. In fact, the prophets were telling us about it back in Isaiah, if we would have noticed. Chapter 42 and chapter 49 talk about this servant figure, and it says, I will give you, the servant, as a covenant for the people. This Savior that's to come will be a covenant himself for the people, an embodiment of the covenant. But perceptive, faithful Jewish people along the way were asking, how could a person be the embodiment of a covenant? How could a person be a covenant? How could a covenant, an abstract idea like that, a promise, take on flesh and blood? But that's what's so sweet about those words in the first chapter of John's gospel, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What was the word that became flesh? Included God's word of promise to Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets along the way. That word of promise became flesh and made his dwelling among us in Jesus. The one who was to come, the one who was to come and save the world, needed to be God in order to keep God's promises to humanity. But the one who was to come needed to be human in order to fulfill the obligations of all the covenants along the way. And the one born in Bethlehem was both fully God, fully human, and so uniquely qualified to be God's covenant both his promise made and his promise kept. Friends, he's invited you and I today to become beneficiaries of his covenant, to be included among the number of those who, by faith in Abraham's God, get counted as sons and daughters of Abraham and get to benefit from the promises of all these covenants along the way. You can have access to those promises, complete forgiveness of sin, intimacy with God without having to go through any mediators. Those promises and more can be yours in Jesus if you place your faith in him. If that's something you've never done but that you're interested in or have questions about, please do grab one of us even before you leave here today. We'd love to talk to you more about what it could mean for you to be included in God's covenant people and become beneficiaries of God's covenant blessings. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that all your promises find their yes in Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to worry that a single one of your promises from Scripture will fall flat because you forgot about it or because you overpromised or because you were unable to follow through. Thank you that your word is sure and true and that in Jesus we get to be included by no merit of our own, in your covenant family, and receive your covenant blessings, including intimacy with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.